Good morning. Thanks for joining me on the Meg Ellison Show. I sincerely appreciate you tuning in, as always. And again, as a reminder, if you've missed any of the conversations during the course of the four and a half hours of Programming Gold, you can always go out to WSAU.com forward slash podcasts, and all of the segments are out there for your listening enjoyment. Listen and share ASAP. <laughs> Uh, I am delighted, and I I say this every time I have someone from Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty on the show. I am so grateful for organizations like Will, because if it weren't for the good guys uh, that have that uh, have I don't know have invested their blood, sweat, and tears and a lot of money in law school, we wouldn't be able to adequately fight off the left often, and for. For that, I am grateful for all that uh, this fantastic organization does for the citizens here in Wisconsin and throughout the country, actually. Delighted to have joining me this morning, via phone, of course, from Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, Attorney Corey Brewer. Good morning, Corey. How are you? Good morning, Meg. I'm doing well. How are you? Good, thanks. We were chatting off air, and I said how... I don't know if I get, well, I guess it is sort of exciting when uh, Will files another lawsuit to stick it to those on the left that uh, (laughs) seem to think that they can just sweep their behaviors under the carpet and we're not going to notice. And uh, I'm I'm grateful that we have not only attorneys and really dedicated citizens that are working for Will, but we also have vigilant and uh, observant citizens in our communities that pay attention to what's going on, not only at the local level and the state level, but even some of the bureaucracies within the state of Wisconsin. So let's talk about, I know that uh, this was news that came out, I want to say, was it on Friday that you filed this lawsuit or was it uh, just this Monday that uh, everything went down? We uh, we just found out late Thursday that we won, and you're right, Friday Friday we announced the win, yes. All right, so let's talk about this win, because this was a suit against the Department of Public Instruction, which is, mm-hmm. which is uh, our illustrious governor is an alumnus of the DPI, and uh, we're, we're not particularly thrilled with the uh, with his efforts in either with either the DPI or even in the governor's office, but let's talk about this uh, this victory with regard to with regard to how it affects those who want to uh, well, implement or mm-hmm. I guess follow through with the school choice program in their communities. Right. Yeah. Just just as a reminder for your listeners, Meg, and I know a lot of them already know this, but. Um, the DPI uh, administers the school choice program. So Wisconsin has essentially the oldest school choice program in the country. It gives parents that are primarily low-income, primarily minority families that couldn't otherwise afford to attend a private school. You know, Will is very supportive of the fact that families shouldn't be tied to a school based on their income or their zip code. So this program is fantastic in that it provides families with additional opportunities. Um, But what DPI was doing as they were administering this program, and and this is why we refer to this lawsuit as the perfection rule case, is we said that they were requiring essentially absolute perfection on families' applications to the program. 
one aspect of the application process is to provide a residency document, just to show where you live, what school district you live in, um, and and what DPI was doing. And they, they did this without promulgating any rule or going through the proper process required by our state law, is they were requiring these perfect matches. And I know we can get a little bit into the weeds in the administrative rulemaking, but I'll provide an example. Um, there, there was a family in Green Bay who lived in the city of Green Bay, but they wanted to use a, a utility bill with their address on it as a residency document. Now, the utility company wrote Bellevue on the bill. So same address, different city name. The school knew, the parents knew, everybody knew where this address was. The utility company just typed the wrong city name, and it was right nearby. Now, that's not a perfect match. So the school, the family, they had to expend all these extra resources to find a document that matches perfectly. They did this with names, too. There was a school in Madison in the Choice Program where uh, the parent on the application wrote his name as Chuck. Um, or I'm sorry, he wrote Charles on the application, but on the residency document, it said Chuck. Any reasonable person can see that Chuck and Charles are the same person. Um, but because that's not a perfect match, again, school parent had to go through this process of getting new documentation to make it match perfectly based on what DPI says is perfect. And, you know, we can talk a little bit more about what this win means, but essentially the judge agreed with us that DPI was was implementing these requirements, these rules, without having gone through the proper process and held that these regulations, these rules are invalid. You know, I just, uh, I, I think about how, how ironic it is that they demanded this perfection rule on their application. Um, are, are, do they demand perfection in the public schools in Wisconsin? Hmm. I don't, I don't. That's an interesting question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not the same process. I know that. Most mm -hmm. certainly it is not. Well, that's interesting. So I, you know, I mean, I guess, uh, and I said this to you off air in, in light of the recent information or the recent uh, decision by Wisconsin Elections Commission with regard to absentee ballot rules. And it, it, it's infuriating to me that, um, you know, if, if there were some uh, payment attached to requiring that someone uh, include their entire address on the absentee ballot envelope. You you better believe that those who are using an absentee ballot would, of course, include their entire addresses. I mean, I almost think you should be required to, uh, we should we should change tax day. So if you're getting a tax refund, you should, uh, on, on voting day, um, we, we should combine the two so that it makes people, really gives people a, a sense of what they are voting for on election day. But regardless, I mean, just the idea that the Wisconsin Elections Commission has decided that they can forgive those that haven't filled out their absentee ballot uh, thoroughly with regard to their, uh, their entire address. But yet when it comes to a school choice application, perfection is demanded. Yeah, and, and, and when we talk about this case, people almost can't believe that this is real. Um, but the the 
briefing that we submitted to the court included several affidavits and, and multiple pages of examples. And to be fair, those were only the schools that were willing to put it in the brief. Um, and I have to give a shout out to the schools, not only the ones that were our clients, along with School Choice Wisconsin Action, um, Catholic Memorial High School and Roncalli Catholic Schools, but every school that, you know, prepared an affidavit and said, this is real. This requirement for, for perfection is real. There was, you know, another example is there are a lot of families that are of Hispanic descent or bilingual who use the program. They might have a hyphenated last name, which they put on the application, but maybe for, for whatever reason, if there's not enough room or just for simplicity, maybe the residency document only has one of their last names. That's not a perfect match. There was actually a school that we talked to that they worked with an individual to bring in his marriage license, license just to prove that he, he was who he said he was. Um, and now, you know, with this win... They still have to submit a residency document and show where they live, but EPI, the government entity that obviously, like you mentioned, we're, we're happy to be kind of fighting back against the government when it is overreaching, um, they can't be nitpicky about those things anymore, about what, what abbreviations are okay and what are not, what documents are okay and what are not. Um, they don't have the authority to do that, um, so, you know what they were doing in the past, that the perfection rule, as we call it, is, is invalid. And um, we're glad to see not just for families who are utilizing the program and applying to the program, but for the schools and their employees administering it. Now they won't have to expend so many resources on helping families get these applications perfect. They can spend them on other things in the school. Um, and we heard directly from them that it, it took a, a really substantial amount of time just to get these applications perfect in the way that DPI wanted them. You know, my children attended public schools, uh, K through 12, and I don't ever recall, and we moved from Minnesota to Wisconsin, so we had to, you know, obviously re-enroll our children in uh, Wisconsin public schools. I don't ever recall being asked to provide a copy of my marriage certificate when my I enrolled my children in the public schools in Wisconsin. Why, why the double standard with... Uh, uh, with DPI, it, it doesn't. It, it seems to me that it's it's punitive more than a perfection rule. It seems like a punitive rule. It's it's it's, uh, um, I guess, uh, punishing uh, families that want to uh, want to take advantage of the fact that they would like to find the best possible option for their ch- educational option mm-hmm. for their children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. That's right. Families want this option, and when they're eligible, uh, they shouldn't have to jump through so many hoops just to utilize the program. And in terms of these these rules, the nitpicky rules that DPI had in place, you know, they did them by guidance documents. They didn't go through the right process. Organizations, they can put, you know, government organizations can certainly put guidance documents out. But not only did the judge say that this went beyond that, he agreed with us that this is more than just guidance. These are rules. Um, But then they can change them on an ad hoc basis. You know, they can update their document. Yesterday, Whisk Rapids was not, and I, I don't actually mean yesterday, but this is a true example. Previously, Whisk Rapids was not a sufficient 
abbreviation for Wisconsin Rapids, but now it is. So the schools have to, you know, DPI keeps kind of uh, moving the goalpost and they have to keep track of it at all, all times. Do you have any idea, um, can you trace this decision or, or, or this, I don't know if you want to call it a policy, I guess you've been referring to it as a rule. Can you trace this back to an individual or a group of individuals within DPI that, I mean, it, it seems to me their motivation is not pure. It's it's more, as I, I, as I said, a punishment to those school choice schools and school choice families. Yeah, I can we trace it back to any individual or group? I don't know. Um, we didn't come across that. All, all we really saw, and it was pretty clear that this was a government entity, uh, the Department of Public Instruction, exceeding its authority, going beyond what our state law allows them to do. And overreaching in a way that, yeah, as you mentioned, it, it harmed families. Um, schools had to spend a bunch of time complying. But what we heard from a lot of schools, especially here in the Milwaukee area, is they didn't necessarily have to always reject families from the program. The families just gave up. This was so much documentation. They had to be so specific, and they didn't understand why. And I don't blame them. You know, when your name's Andrew and you have Andy on a document, you need a new document? It it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So, you know, we're glad to have this be back into place now. And we have to wait and see what DPI does now that we have this decision. Um, but right now, they cannot be that picky. They cannot require perfection. And, and to be fair, they, they disputed that they did. But I I think it was pretty clear based on their guidance documents, based on what the schools are going through, that they were far exceeding their authority, and they were doing it without following our state law. I mean, that's what it all comes down to. Um, and Will is very happy to be able to step in and fight for schools, fight for families, when the government is exceeding its authority and giving them a hard time. Uh, it, it truly is outrageous uh, what what they were requiring you know, I've had conversations with others about school choice uh, here in Wisconsin and have asked the question about uh, what I would I would say that it receives tepid bipartisan uh, support. I mean, I mm -hmm. think that there are Democrats that would agree, depending on what part of the state that would agree that this is a this is a great program for you know, and as an example, inner city families in Milwaukee that have a horrible, dismal record in their public school system. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, what I what I find to be interesting is that uh, that publicly, um, Democrats won't acknowledge. I mean, as as a party, uh, certainly they will not acknowledge that this is beneficial for for the education of children throughout the state of Wisconsin. And it, it's a win yeah. for all of us. And so I guess what I'm curious about is um, after this case was filed uh, and, and, you know, and, I, and now that you've won this decision, have you heard any comments from Democrats that whose districts were affected by the, well, I mean, they were all affected, I guess, but partic in particular, in the Milwaukee area, I've, I mean, I've heard that there are some 
Democrat legislators that will acknowledge privately that they appreciate the school choice program, but never publicly? Um, great question. And you're right in that I think the most bipartisan support for the program is in Milwaukee. It's also the, it has the highest enrollment and it's obviously the oldest. Milwaukee Parental Choice Program is the oldest with children leaving MPS to attend a private school in the choice program. Um, I, I haven't heard from Democrats. Uh, about the lawsuit when, um, you know, there have been, and and as you know, there have been some Democrats, especially in this area, that they will vote in favor of school choice depending on what it is. Like you said, it it depends. Um, But it it kind of perplexes me, to be honest, because families want this. Families want options. And, you know, one of the myths about school choice is that if you're for school choice, you're anti-public school, and that is just not the case. Um, you know, children are, are always going to attend public schools. I think, in fact, probably the majority of children will always go to their local public school. But that does not mean that families shouldn't have an option because they don't make enough money, because they don't live in the right neighborhood. Um, we can have more options for families. I We're seeing school choice around the country just expand like crazy this year. So I think it's kind of gaining more traction, gaining more bipartisan support, but um, it, it's still a difficult option or issue, I should say, and it's too bad that it's become political. Well, and, and you know, I guess what's unfortunate is that those who are in opposition to the school choice program are, are really uh, evidently must be in favor of continuing failing schools in Wisconsin because with competition, all schools in the state rise right. to a higher level. So if they are if they are forced to uh, compete with a choice school, mm-hmm. I would imagine that there'd be more incentive. I mean, there would just be incentive for them to want to strive to be better, which would rise the level of education for every student, for those even that choose to go the public school route. Yeah, yeah. And and families leave public schools for the parental choice program for a variety of reasons. It might be because they want a religious education. It might be because of the academic achievement or proficiency in that school. Maybe it has to do with discipline or safety. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's when we're hearing more and more recently is just a more orderly school environment where kids can focus and feel safe. Um, but they leave for a variety of reasons. And, and you know, I think we need to be flexible. We want educational freedom. We want families to have options, obviously. But we also want to improve the lives of those kids in the public schools, too. Um, and I don't know why that's such a controversial argument. I think we want to improve the educational environment for all kids, for all families. And this win is, it's really, you know, it's its hard for people to wrap their head around, especially if they're not familiar with DPI or school choice. Um, but just making it easier for, again, eligible, mostly low-income families to apply and utilize the program, that, that'll be a, a big difference, I think. And it's interesting, critics will never acknowledge that there is a significant portion 
if uh, I mean maybe you maybe you even have numbers on how many low income families take advantage of this of the school choice program and and that are that without it they wouldn't have any other choice but to send their child to a failing public school and yeah. I, I see these critics Corey that say uh, that how dare how dare these uh, the school choice take government money away from public schools and how quickly they forget that it's never been government money it's taxpayer <laughs> money and that money should follow the student wherever he or she goes to school I think that's a great policy. I think having the dollars follow the student makes a lot of sense. Um, in terms of numbers, yeah, it's about 50,000 kids utilizing the private parental choice uh, program. Uh, about 30,000 of those are in Milwaukee, and the statewide program is continuing to grow in popularity. And there's also, a, and we haven't even talked about this yet, but there's about 10,000, a little bit more than 10,000 students in the independent charter schools. So, you know, it's not just public or private. There's so many options. And I think, you know, you and I have talked before, I think, about legal threats to school choice. And that's another thing we're happy to do here at Will is just fight to preserve those options for families across the state. Well, keep up the great work, Corey Brewer. I appreciate it. All that your organization does, will-law.org, Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. I am so grateful for your efforts on behalf of school choice here in Wisconsin. Look forward to our next chat. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks. Take care. And again, if you'd like to learn more about Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, go out to will-law.org. Rolling to the 1030 News, followed by your calls on the other side, 715-845-2155 on the Mega Ellison Show on WSAU. 